1: Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. Happy holidays and uh, got the OG podcast with Adam L.
0: Light him up. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Everybody, welcome to another edition of the podcast. You know who it is, the highest host, Adam Ill. Thank y'all for joining and listening. You could be doing anything in the world right now, and you decide to listen to me, so we're gonna make it it's a great hour. Wherever you're at, I don't care where you are, if you're in the car or at work, or at the dispensary, or at your mom's house, or in the room, or driving, or running, or hiking, or whatever the fuck you're doing. I appreciate you for listening. I got an awesome guest friend a controversial character right now a passionate cannabis consumer uh, an event coordinator a business owner he's been uh, through a lot in this industry i'm gonna get to him in a minute because there's so much to talk about but i just want to talk about one thing real quick you know me every time i have something to fucking rant about and you know last time i had kyle cushman on it was a great show shout out to kyle cushman come on last week you know he's, a, he's an award-winning grower been in the street for many 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 years And he brought up something, and I was really thinking about it. And you know what? The more I think about it, the worse weed is getting. Uh, Like, we might think that it's great. There's all these new strains out there. Everyone's crossbreeding. We got all these exotic flavors. But I just feel like that true, like, passion to, like, get high and get that true gas is gone because the growers aren't really involved anymore. They're all, like corporate grows now and they got like schedules and it's business and they're just trying to make the best buck out of it and it's not about it's not about like the flower now it's more about just branding and packaging and hype and marketing it's i made a little post on my instagram about uh you know about the movie aladdin i don't know if you saw it but the genie in the beginning is uh actually uh telling a story about the lamp to sell you the lamp and the whole Aladdin thing is a made-up story by the salesman because he wants you to buy this lamp. And that's what I feel is going on with the weed industry now is you get all these people talking about these strains, hyping them up, and then you smoke them, and they're just, you're like, Ugh. like, you just, you're just you just disappointed. And, and I just wish people would just go back into the passion of cannabis and the culture and the lifestyle. I feel like it's disappearing. People are forgetting the roots. People are forgetting what it was about. It, was about, it used to be called a cannabis community. Mentioned in like the industry, right? Cannabis industry is a lot of like culture vultures and corporate. And now I feel it's more like a cannabis circus. I said this last time because there's so many clowns out here now. But how do you, what do you think, Dougie? Dougie, Dougie with Hitman in the building. Douglas Drake up. What up, Adam? Chalice, Hitman Glass, Hitman Farms. Again, passion cannabis smoker, the hashaholic, uh, spoken word. Yeah, man. Author, you made a book, right?
0: Yeah, we, uh... He did
1: a book, so an author as well? Yeah, but say,
0: uh, what do you call that, um... <laughs> I'd say we didn't produce the book, I guess, uh, published? Yeah, well, you, like,
1: created the content and put it together yeah. and, and got curated, the Curated, curated It's, it's called process. Chess Pieces, and it's basically yeah. about all the glass culture, which I feel like people are forgetting about, and it was, uh, just the art that went behind it, and how functional pieces can also be used for everyday things like playing chess.
0: Absolutely, so I uh, was raised Playing chess. My father's a chess master. Back east, in Boston.
1: Like, what do you mean, chess east master? Coast. Like, he's so ranked as a chess player. He's
0: ranked. He's he's ranked as a chess master. Um, well, how does that you, happen? You go to different tournaments. You play with different people. Okay. And uh, you know, there's a whole subculture and of chess. You, you know, said back
1: like, east. That's where you're from.
0: Back east. Yep. Mass. I'm from Boston. You Massachusetts. Know, Coast. Right. And uh, moved out here in 2011. I've been coming out here for a couple of years. Um, was really. Into how open the, how open people were in California with cannabis and how much more, um, I guess, involved cannabis was in people's lives.
1: Right. It was like, I feel like California, LA is, is like a, a- uh, a starting point For a lot of things It's like a trend setting spot And out here You know We just don't give a fuck And we did get high everywhere
0: Yeah But I, came, I mean dude I came out for the glass pipes Honestly <laughs> at first uh,
1: Cause you, you You're you from the east coast Yeah And you were really Like You, you I was a weed the, person You I'll owned a glass that. shop though So
0: yeah So I uh, Went to music festivals For a long time And I started meeting glass blowers Were you like, um, like taking ass Selling and weed like going Selling to weed Going to music festivals I was paying for my whole little travels um, and go from music festival to music festival every weekend. Uh, okay. And sell weed, and then eventually I started going in as a vendor. Okay. Uh, and, sell a and weed selling weed as a vendor? No. So I set up uh, the stuff you'd sell at a music festival. I had glass jars, these glass weed jars from Arcata. Little that stash were really jars. Cool. Yeah. Like I had, you know, like the drug rug, standard like tie dye right. shit, little all throws, kind of, all that kind of yeah. stuff, tapestries. Like it's more like a head shop. More like a front business, Bro. honestly, just to get in early, unsearched, was
1: more the... Okay, you're smart. you thought you like, how can I get in here? Well, with-
0: dude, because coming in as an attendee of the music festival, you Sucks. have all the cops set up, so, you know... And Bro, I like had a
1: problem I rolling loud.
0: ...and searched, you know. So we figured out quickly that if you come in as a vendor, you don't get searched. So we started going in and... Uh, <laughs> Buy your boots, fuck yeah. a ticket. But dude, I mean, so uh, long story short, I met a lot of these glass blowers and started spending my money that I had made at the music festival selling weed on pipes and bringing those pipes back to Boston and selling those to my friends, you know, and I sold them weed, whatever. And then I met this dude who opened a smoke shop called The Joint uh, on Commonwealth Ave in Boston. And it was a small little smoke shop. How old were you at this point? Oh, uh, fuck, man. That's this like high school, out of high school? Two, yeah, I mean, I was a couple years out of high school. Okay. Yeah, and I... uh I met this dude, I had a better glass collection than him, I had better weed, (laughs) you know, so he was like, bro, you gotta help me out, like, he got put on game, so I put all my glass collection in his spot, and, uh, started managing the smoke shop, and then, in doing that i started going to like the trade shows in vegas so i was able to see like in what capacity these businesses were operating at these trade shows to get orders right you were getting you were getting
1: deep into me
0: being a a hustler selling whatever you know i was like damn i could do this were you always hustling uh i mean i like how were you how um, were you
1: growing up on the east how was dougie as a student were you at school like slinging candy to people or uh, were you like
0: i wouldn't say that but i i got into (laughs) weed early for sure when was the first
1: time you, you smoked weed? 11 years old 11? Who yeah. was it with? Um, It was on
0: uh, It was in Like I was in a scenario where There were a lot of Older kids around us obviously And like all They, they were smoking weed people Like I was I'd walk home You know It like, the was pass, always yeah. like this little path Where people were smoking weed And I smoked weed so you have
1: peer pressure or you want No, to try I was to just
0: curious it? to smoke weed. I wanted to get into everything early. Right. You know? and I, I tried a bunch of different <laughs> tried a bunch of different stuff early. Um, and figured out what I liked and didn't like and I was always just into weed. Were you like a daily smoker at 11 or you
1: first smoked at 11? I
0: frequently and like I was the only child with my parents. Uh, my dad has other kids with other uh, wives, but with my mother, I'm the only child. Kid? So I was obviously a main focus. So it was the art to not getting so when, caught by wh- your parents. Yeah. What was a daily the daily consumption?
1: When was the daily consumption starting? Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guess, sure at 11, you don't have money I wasn't buy.
0: really, no, but then I started buying weed from like- some, How'd you get money at 11? Um, I had jobs. I worked at like a hardware store. I what? worked at this like uh, okay. little like farm stand thing. Like I, I had Little family businesses. Yeah, like, right. I had I had. I need jobs. weed. Let me work. Um, but I was just, I don't know, man. I just wanted to get into it. And, uh, I mean, dude, it was a blessing, honestly, from, from day one, it helped me network a lot. It like anything, it's taught me a lot of lessons, you know, being a cannabis consumer.
1: Do you remember what the first strain was and how you smoked it?
0: It was definitely some outdoor weeds. <laughs> uh, and then I started in. Was it like a, a bong or a joint? In middle school, I started getting weed from this dude Hillary that was coming in from Boston. His name California. was Hillary. Yeah, and he ended up getting kicked out of school. But I was buying little dime, small little like nickel and dime bags of some stress ass weed from him, man. And and then I was like had the weed in me and my boy Sam and Mark and a couple other homies would like go uh, smoke up in the woods like and, after like, school. You know, yeah. How dude, are you smoking or, it? it? On the way to school. That people were like saying you know. The teachers, it like it smells, and shit. yeah. We're just so I, I was getting into shit early, ended up getting sent away to bad kid boarding school upstate New York, you know, <laughs> borderline <kid>. lockdown bad, <laughs> bad scenario, student. yeah. Like well, just God, I was I was a crazy kid, and so uh, was there for a couple years, graduated. And then got back into weed. You couldn't smoke weed there. You couldn't do anything. Right. So I kind of, like, cleared my head up, graduated. Say hey, what you need to do to get out. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and then <laughs> at that point. I but, know what yeah. my
1: passion is. It's cannabis. Fuck yeah. this school. Yeah,
0: and I mean, everybody would always tell you, like, okay, this isn't a good idea or with weed, you know. And, like, I think the biggest thing is staying true to what you believe in, right? And yeah. And along all this shit, it's been hard, man. Uh, it's been a crazy path that all of us thought was gonna be really easy to drive down. Uh, And it's obviously not.
1: Well, there's been a lot of obstacles. Yeah, and and
0: unforeseen scenarios that you couldn't really, when... People were always fighting for legalization. Yeah, man, and a lot of people are in jail right now that I know personally for the plan, you know? And like, it's a very real thing that the way that this transition happened is kind of what rubs me the wrong way. Um, but then again, how was it supposed to happen? I, I guess it—the plant being demonized for
1: propaganda, all that propaganda yeah, for decades. Us.
0: You know, like it's really—it makes you realize like people are about the plant for a reason because of what it does for them, and I think it alleviates a lot of pain and and uh, and stressors in life, and it's, it's a, like a part of balance, you know.
1: Preventative medic- medicating—it's like when people take vitamins to prevent things or they take certain types of like, everybody has
0: different vices too. This is my pet peeve in weed is everybody want to be judgmental about what drugs people do or whatever. And you know, like my only thing is I say to each, to each his own, you know, just, I have a personal issue with opiates, just not personally taking them, but because I lost a lot of friends to that shit. And it's, you know, like again, to each his own, though, and like everybody has balance or thinks they have a balance. But me, I'm, I'm humble enough to say I'm not really balanced for shit on anything. I'm really doing. <laughs> I'm trying to hold it together. I think we all are, right? And and we were all fucked you up, you know, like we all got us, crazy. But none of us are really at that point where you know our hands are stable as we might present it. And, yeah. And uh, especially with social media now and everyone
1: thinking, like, come on, that's and real
0: life. It's this really. It's social media really created this front end of who you want to be. Um, it's a highlight reel of your life. And it's it's a strange thing because everyone has a voice and, and and it'd just be like if someone ran in here who looked psychotic and started saying some crazy shit, we'd probably have to like have them escorted out and not interact with them. So it's like on social media, a lot of people can get to you in a way or try to get to you in a way That isn't healthy You know And like I think It's It's highlighted In our generation That People are really Unhappy with themselves So they reach out in, In negative ways And they feel good About someone else's Downfall But that's that's also, like, any mainstream shit. You know, people are like, look, they broke up. Yeah. They're fucking... This happened.
1: They're yeah. on drugs. Like, it's kind of like that, like... The negative stories always do better than positive stories. Yeah, that's right. All the news you watch is bad. Everything they talk about is bad. No one talks about positive Think about things. how much
0: energy people spent in 2018 towards people's downfall. Oof. You know, and that's some real shit. Like, yeah, I, on social media alone, never mind in their lives. And I've been at a point where I'm fucking... Hating somebody, or I'm upset, or rubbed the wrong way, and and I've wasted a lot of time in my life just dwelling on shit. Dwelling on shit when you, but dude, feeling like in the moment, I'm a very emotional person, and it's tough because this industry is not really for an emotional person. It's tough because you know, like, and I wear it on my shoulder. Yeah. More than a regular dude, and I don't have a problem talking about it because that's who I am, you know. But a lot of people would never talk about this kind of shit on a fucking yeah.
1: radio. Show. If you follow uh, yeah. Dougie on Instagram at Douglas Drake Cup, hitman Dougie Hashaholic, you'll see some exciting stories, you'll see some passion, you'll see there's a you know, just like me, uh, we're a part of many memes, yeah. and it's great because yeah. we're just real people, we're not trying to front people. Know our face though, this is the thing, man.
0: It's like when you wake up, right? You wake. Everybody wakes up every morning. They take a shit, you know. And, some people. Or whatever. Whenever. Some people are them. full of shit, so they never let yeah. it out. <laughs> but they take a the shit, you know. And you go on social media, okay? It's about who are you checking up on, right? And you got to ask yourself why, because a lot of people are checking up on people for the wrong reasons, because they're not happy or they're envious of someone's scenario or the fact that someone's willing to take a risk or put.
1: Plus, put
0: themselves out there. They've so that have,
1: FOMO I, moments, that, those fear of missing
0: out. Come on. And I have these people who like, I put myself out there so much a lot of times where I'm freaking out or furious or angry. You're passionate. people are like, some people are like, you need to chill, dude. I'm putting shit on social media. <laughs> right? And then I have other people that come up to me in person and thank me. And it's like, because they respect that I'm genuine about how I am. And- it's like you can have a lot of people know you. Like, you have a good persona on, on social media, but I also <laughs> yeah. watch you, dude, and that shit's a lot of work. And it's like I don't put as much work in as you on yeah. that shit.
1: Yeah, well, social media, you know, some people, it's a job. Some yeah, but, dude, it. for, but for you, you've created – it also – it's. I asked this
0: one dude who had a massive YouTube following. He came in the coffee shop, and I'm like, yo, so how would you get – how do you do this? How do you start doing? He's like, well, I started videoing myself doing shit, and it sounds so profound, but it's like, bro, you gotta just yeah. be about it. And a lot, like, and it's totally really hard to it. do
1: that too because there's some people that are content in their life where they wake up early, go to work at someone's in a cubicle nine to five, do their responsibilities, go home, forget about work, don't have to deal with it, chill at home, do what they want, watch their show, eat, drink whatever, and then they do that their whole life and they're fine with that because they don't. Have res- they don't have any responsibilities beyond what they have to do at work? When you're doing content and you're working for yourself, you are now your boss. You have to create the shit. You have to do things yourself to get that money. Because if you don't do it, someone's out there is not going to do it for you, and it gets a lot harder on people that you like. People think it's easy. Oh, you just wake up and you just live your life, and, but you got to create moments. To- but bro, we can all relate. We,
0: you know, you've had sh- times where you you were. Doing really well, and then you had times where you weren't, and then oh. times where you get lazy, you know what I'm saying? And then, yo, but that's real, it's like Unmotivated, everybody gets lazy in out. certain points, right? And you go through the it's a very it's just like a stock or anything, man. Yeah. it's really up and down, and that's that's us in our life, right? Yeah, so it's pre- presenting consistency on social media is as consistent as the person, I guess, yeah, right?
1: But yeah, some people really front because I've met people on social media who uh, seem really outgoing and they create so many videos and then in real life you meet them and there's just no personality. Yeah. They're just to themselves and they're sitting in the corner like staring at their phone so
0: I've had that uh too where like no names, there's like a lot of different influencers and um we deal with term. them on or whatever <laughs> there are. Uh there's social media influencers <laughs> now is a, is like a job right. Yeah. What do so, you do? I'm an influencer. Right. So It's this weird thing where someone can have such a crazy persona online and then be so fucking weird in person. It's like antisocial, like you said. And it's just like I've had those moments with people where you're just
1: like, this is fucking weird, man. Is this real real life? That's why I say social media is not real life. People have assumptions of who we are. I mean, my comments are pretty funny on social media. Your comments are very entertaining as well. People just want to assume shit. People want to assume shit and then, uh, when they meet you in real life, they're like, Oh, you're not that bad. And then you're like, What you mean? I'm not that bad. What the f- you thought I was a fucking asshole? You don't even know me. You're already assuming, yo. So, of out of
0: all these people that want to talk shit, this is hysterical. You'll love this. So, I'm up at the Emerald Cup a couple years ago, and everybody want to talk shit online, but nobody will say anything to you in life, person, yeah. man, ever. And this guy comes up to me, I'm standing at my booth. And I compliment him on this pendant that he had. It was a janky ass pendant. And I'm just saying that based on knowing a lot of glass, like it was early stage. It was from him though. And I was being genuine about it.
1: Yeah. Like he's putting in. I was
0: being nice. I said, look, man, that's a cool pendant, bro. Who made it? He's like, I made it. I'm like, that's sick, man. Where do you blow glass? He's like, I'm up here in the bay. I'm like, oh, where do you work? I'm trying to be nice. You know, we're at the festival. Yeah. He's at my booth. Just conversate. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, uh, I'm over here with these guys. And he names some dudes. And I'm like, well, look, I'm, I said politely, I've never heard of those guys, but I'm not from the Bay and I'm not even from California. So I probably wouldn't
1: know. Yeah. These little small glassblowers. Yeah. No, well, just I wouldn't. I don't know a lot of people there's, up here, up here, yeah. you know. I mean, there's thousands of glassblowers now. Like, so it's, <laughs> it's really hard to like know
0: and every single the one. the dude goes, yeah, but you know, Hitman Glass Dougie, right? Not knowing that it and was <laughs> me To me Right And I'm like I pause I'm like my Employee Brian like Steps up next to me Cause he heard it And he's like smirking And the dude I like look at the dude weird And he's like Doug? And he like points at me I was like Yeah Nice to meet you man And he's like Oh man I didn't mean to Talk shit about you or anything I said I'd hope not bro Cause I've never met you before yeah, in My I mean, entire yeah. fucking life And it was this moment Where it's like Dude, you only know someone based on your actual interaction with them. Yeah. Because social media isn't a good representation of someone, even if they do put themselves out there. Yeah. Right? And like a lot of these people, think, it's just like when you see someone say that when they only post their successes, right? They yeah. don't post when they're trying to fucking or when the, the shit didn't
1: work out. Yeah. And it's that's a highlight reel. It's their highlight reel. Yeah, real. but come on, at some point, like some we all, we all would, have issues. Yeah. We all have our problems. We all have our personal things. Our whole personal uh, problems that we have. We all get in our own head. Come on. That's that it. That happens. So here we are. So Dougie, out here, you might have Hitman Glass. You might know from Chalice. So you're... In Boston, Massachusetts, you discover weed at eleven. You you're passionate about it. You finish your obligated school, you go out, you start opening up a glass shop. Then you're like, "Fuck it, I'm moving to California." There's we opportunity. Start Hitman, up there. man, we started Hitman. We
0: started Hitman with my boy Eric Wiseman, may he rest in peace. One of my best friends. Um, he was my weed dealer back east, one of uh-huh. them. But he also for personal weed, and he was turned into a friend over the years. Man, he right. was like the dude. I was going through my friend to deal with him um for years, and then I finally was able to deal with him and then like we ended up hanging out and like yeah, you built know, a relationship built a friend a yeah. genuine friendship over the years man and uh and he went to festivals with me like you know we started hitman together and You know, I moved out. He was always just getting in trouble for stupid shit, man. Like, you know, it'd be like little, like it was never the big shit. He was doing crazy shit, but the stuff he was getting in trouble for was just stupid shit. And I think a lot of people can relate. It's never the big shit you really get caught up for, but it's that like shit where you're just slipping on some stupid shit or whatever. And, uh, so long story short, he had a case. So, um, we're running Hitman out of his basement. His house ended up getting raided. I had to, like, save the business by, like, running all the labels and everything out the fucking basement. I moved to California. Eric still had a, a case, so he couldn't move. And, um, I moved out in, like, the beginning of 2011. In September, Eric was killed in, like, a triple homicide. Um, which is, like, the bin, to this day, like, the gnarest scenario I've ever had to deal with. I'm still dealing with it every day. Um, and... You know, losing somebody like that, it, it made me, people ask, they're like, damn, you're really passionate about this. And it's like, dude, well, you know, when you start something with someone and then you lose them, all you really have is that business and what you started with them. And, and a lot of people I'm sure can appreciate that. So, you know, we started Hitman, Eric got killed. I was out in California and, um, you know, it came down to just trying to navigate this business by myself.
1: Right, you started. You came out in California, 2011. I think that's about the time I first met you. Yeah, because I, I was doing this podcast. I started in 2009. Yeah. I took a little hiatus at 2014, but uh, I think I was when I was doing it. I started in like a studio apartment, and I was moving, and then we made a mobile, and we were doing it in like glass shops. And I think we did it. I think I had you in the in the back of the Skillet Tools office uh-huh. in the Valley. Uh-huh. Remember Skillet Tools, one yeah. of the first Dab Tools. Yeah. Babin became crazy. You started Hitman Glass. I remember it was the beginning. Yeah, and- so, I mean, dude, Hitman was all about, when
0: I started Hitman, I met Steve Bates, which really inspired us starting Hitman. And uh, Steve Bates is uh, just a fucking genius, dude. And he's a, like a scientific glassblower. He has a background of scientific glass blowing. He's also a very authentic, very authentic dude um, and was able to... You know, we really hit it off, dude. He's a he's a good friend. Um, we've been through a lot together. I've seen him go through a lot. Uh right now he's you know, got a kid, he's living up in Humboldt, he's happy, I'm happy for him. Yeah. Um and I remember
1: uh, yeah, he did a bunch of like But crazy He perks. started the
0: turbine, okay? Uh the turbine bong which spun water like a tornado, which I'm sure a lot of people know what the have seen versions of it. And um I got a, one of those pieces and I'm like, dude. I'd love for you to make some more of these. And he didn't want to make them because he's not like a workhorse. He's like the idea guy. Right. Um, Which has been a huge inspiration for me because I'm not really the dude making the pipe. You know, I'm like a dude designing the pipe. Right. But Steve's the one who can make the pipe and design it. So um, he made the torch tube and the turbine and some of these other things that I brought to market through Hitman. And um, we were fortunate enough to really be there as concentrates just started to gain popularity. Yeah, I
1: remember like like 2011, 12. It started becoming like dabbing was a thing. People were making uh, we were making pieces for it. There were nails, special nails made for it. It started becoming like the new way to consume cannabis. (laughs) You guys were like in the forefront, like pioneering shit, creating. You created the dab rig. Or uh uh
0: I wouldn't say we created the dabering. We, we we the torture created the, the, the torture tube the for the tor- torture, yeah, yeah. Not
1: the dabbering the torture.
0: <laughs> sure. But like I uh Correction Man, I I've, I've, I will say that, you know, glass pipes and being on the East Coast, it was drug paraphernalia. Right. And I never really planned having a bong company, but I was really inspired by like Illiadelph. Roar a lot of the brands that when I got into smoking, I wanted a uh, Illadelph glycerin coil, you know? Um and there
1: were a lot of, you know, JP
0: from Toro. I remember glycerin,
1: you put it in the freezer, shit, you you put it attached to your bond, it gets cold ass hit. Yeah, JP from
0: Toro <laughs> was a fucking legend, you know, and uh, you know, just getting to meet a lot of these glass blowers and getting more into the scene was just dude, it really like yeah. It was a blessing that I had great weed, um, and that was always a major asset for me. And, you know, back East, you have to walk. You have to find the the ladder to walk up it. It's not really as easy and open as California, where everybody has a delinquent cousin, brother, older brother. <laughs> Someone somebody. knows somebody. And there's more weed. It was always more weed here. Back East, it was like... Boston smoke goes hard with weed. I mean, it's actually a massive smoking city and there's a lot of colleges and it's just a big underground scene, but I come from where weed was underground, dude. So like now that weed's going illegal, I'm kind of like over here giggling. Cause it's like how selling weed was yeah. on the East coast before it was underground. And California's not used to that. Everybody's down. They're down to post their location with all their fuck with a duffel bag full of fucking packs. You know, it's like, Dude, people are crazy right now. Yeah, they're putting
1: boxes on tables. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like, it's that comfortability at some point. Like, there will be a sweep, and, and people, there'll be some fear put back into people. Um, if you look at any movement or anything, there's always some type of regulation, and, and and what they did is they created created law, and, you know, when it starts to be enforced this upcoming year, I'm just— genuinely worried about a lot of my friends
1: yeah i see a lot of people so we're uh, gonna get into that we're gonna yeah. we're gonna get to that i want to get into i want to start from the beginning like when you moved to california 2011 hitman glass start innovating things creating certain rigs start uh, making things that are um collaborating with a lot of artists yeah uh there was one really popular rig besides the torch tube that came out it was the Dabacino. Yep, that was with evil glass evil you guys made the davacino and then it again sued it by became Starbucks. so big yes <laughs> Starbucks recognized it because this was a time when a lot of brands started recognizing uh the cannabis because they were just taking our popular ca- uh, cartoon characters or store names and just creating like Dabs R Us, so you would take your favorite cartoon character yeah I, t- I took a class
0: in copyright infringement yeah and uh it was exciting invigorating. And would I do it again? Um, yeah, (laughs) but I am happy we did it. Um, I'm also grateful that the attorneys over there, shout out Starbucks, you know, for being, uh, merciful on a small business owner, like myself who doesn't really have any money to give them. But in the event that I did, I will and would, but, uh, you know, Look, Do man. You f- at that it moment- taught me, but here's it, it taught me about trademarks, right? Because I have a, I have trademarks, right? And everybody's trying to protect their brand in quotes, but it doesn't really mean anything until it's like what you're willing to spend to like enforce your trademark. Yeah, and with this it became so noticeable to them
1: yeah that's what i was saying how yeah, did they feel? had to it's pretty dope like that how is it we that, like shook it shook it that up that starbucks much. a huge franchise recognized what you guys are doing and decided to uh, dress with
0: the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
1: have something with their attorneys to send you like yeah i mean did, it's are you like happened. damn we made it or then yeah. we're fucked or Yeah like- it's a
0: little bit of both but i mean it's like again like i you know the series two one we did like legitimately looked like it came from starbucks like the box it was in, and stuff looks like it could have been on the shelf my boys knocked it at the park with the branding yeah. you know what i mean so it. much so that like they were like yeah um but I mean again, man, there's also millions and millions of knockoffs. And that's something I wanted to bring up too with Hitman that I went through. Um and it's related to trademarks. Uh, and that's getting knocked off for an idea you come up with. I'm just somebody who wants to come up with new shit. I'm not trying to make what Adam makes. Yeah. I'm not trying like, you know, I'm not trying to come out with his shit. I'm trying to come out for just cheaper. Because coming out with someone else's shit for cheaper is a hustle I'm not really interested in. Right, I'm trying to create proprietary shit that it, that represents myself and something from me and my crew or whatever that is. And I think that's what we're all trying to do. So it's like with weed, it's interesting because people are trying to claim proprietary shit to stuff that everybody yeah, else it's has been around. Yeah, you know. But but with glass, I created these designs: the double barrel recycler, you know, the Sunday the, cup, yeah, the side the sidecar yeah. bubbler, right? That we really popularized these styles. Dabuccino, whatever with yeah. Leonard, with James, these things all be one when you create something of value that's proprietary. There's going <laughs> you create a market for it, and there with every market comes a black market and knockoffs. So you know I'm one of the still one of the most ripped off pipe brands out there, and yeah, you know we kind of a- stopped going as hard as we used to with all the production stuff and really like toned it back to not like higher end, you know scientific crazy compound collection, like, you know, different stuff now, but. Yeah. Cause there was a little controversy with China. hundred percent. So, and that's because it's educating the public, right? Where, when they say, okay, something's made in China. Okay. If a product's made in China, it could be with materials from here, there. Now for me in my situation, the stuff was made in America. And it was subcontracted to facilities like Zob, Roar. You know what I'm saying? I had a couple glass blowers in Philadelphia, New Jersey that would do pieces for me that I met through different facilities. Some of them were scientific facilities doing shit on the side that didn't wanna be public about, about it. Right. But I wasn't someone who had my own studio. For years. So people who knew that saw that vulnerability and created this whole like, oh, he makes his products in China to try to devalue my brand. Right. Because I came up so fast. And what it is, it's tall poppy syndrome. You know, when you get a rise above the rest, it creates shade. Yeah. And somebody wants to cut that top off so they can be the one to shine. Right. And I've been through that just like anybody who's making a real name or face for himself. You go through this experience where people create you to be some villain, you know, what I mean? For and sure. it's like anybody who knows me or who has known me knows that's not the case. But at this, at some point it's like educating people on what it is they're even criticizing. So now, you know, creating products that are timeless, you know, like I've already made the double barrel, all these things where that's a hitman product, you know, like, and there's millions of knockoffs of those products, but I didn't, in, I didn't enforce it you rolled a the fat ass wood. I did. I didn't enforce. <laughs> I didn't enforce the trademark. So why do I have it? Because I didn't have the money to fucking enforce it. Right. So lawyers are expensive. But the point is, man, your only your trademark doesn't mean shit unless you also have a representing attorney on retainer ready to go. Right. And you got the as we G? get into as we get into this, yeah, all attorneys say that. Cut and, the check. You know. Everybody wants their money. And at the end of the day, dude, it's hard to navigate in this space where everybody has their own personal interests involved in your business move.
1: Right. Everyone wants a piece of the pie. Yeah. All right. So here you are doing the glass thing, got blowing up, doing all these shows, creating events, uh, then getting, you know, dealing with hate, dealing with lawsuits and shit. And then um, there's a lot of, Festivals going on. There's a lot of events going on, and then you decide that you're going to throw one of the best cannabis festivals out there because you've been going to festivals. So I started the Seven
0: Ten Cup. This in this is right before I started Chalice. We did the Seven Ten Cup. Me and my buddy Ryan from Grassroots. Shout out to Grassroots. Yeah, shout out to. I still roots.
1: got my sweaters and shorts.
0: Yeah. Uh, that was in you know, Denver, Colorado. And Ryan is just another dude who was just like really about it, was at all those things. Like we met each other organically at a this festival. dude, Mike Fro. Um, oh, another glass started, blower. Yeah. And um, Mike Fro is somebody else who deserves serious credit in my life because he connected me with Banjo and a lot of these other like big glass blowers and vouched for me and- You know i had i had money at the time to be spending on pipes so obviously like you know he didn't need to vouch that much because we were spending money right money kind of spoke for itself but at the same time like uh it opened the door for me knowing these people on a different level and supporting somebody like banjo who's one of the biggest and my favorite artist um at a point in his career that was you know early in his career and he needed a he needed someone who saw the value in his art right and um I'm a, I'm someone who's always seen the value in glass pipes. And that
1: was your life. It's a yeah.
0: world, man. Like it's a whole world. And I'm so How many pieces used to, do you have in your collection? Um fuck man, a uh, hundreds? Yeah. Um thousands? I'd say hundreds. Um over five hundred? Yeah, but it just depends on what size or capacity each piece is, you know what I mean? But uh Yeah, I mean, dude, I've been collecting glass for 15 years or something, Uh, and I have a lot of, like, gems and and pieces that are, are, history. you know, uh, priceless in my opinion, and, and, you know, happened at a point in these artists' career where they were really at an artistic point, not in a production standpoint. Right. Um,
1: They're doing it for passion and the art. Right. For the and production. I think the
0: balance for any glass blower is trying to or any glass company is trying to have the bread and butter come in so you can right. um, you make pay that trademark. For, so you can also spend the time making baller artistic shit.
1: Right. Then personal. <laughs> so
0: you are, here you are Ryan, Mr. Ruga, mm-hmm. and the start eight. the seven ten cup seven ten cup, which was the first Concentrate centered cup now like I was lucky enough to be judging high times events um you know, and then was invited by Nico, great guy um Bobby Black when he was working for high times and the I was able crew. to be the the, old school the crew. old school crew <clears throat> and I was able to see how they ran their event, the back end judging side of it um and re- the re- see the reality of it.
1: <coughs> it was and like a group. Con- it was like a group debate on who wins, and it was kind of. It was influence. a different
0: approach than what you thought what? it would be. But so for me, I, I saw some
1: areas that I could improve on. This you was know? my story when I judged. I judged for high times a couple times. Yeah. Uh, um, the first time I judged for high times, it was, you pick up the pack. They give you a, a little, like, you download the little app, they give you a little piece of paper, you, and you vote. And then when you decide, you go to the little High Times house, and you all sit in a room with all the judges. And,
0: and then talk they, about it.
1: And then you say, oh, what was your guys' favorite? And so we'll be like, oh, I like number 22. so we'll be like, well, I like number 14. And people like, oh, I had 14 on here, too. I had 14 on here, too. And they'll be like, oh, so should we put 14 on there? And then people would agree. Yeah. And then it was just kind of like a group debate. And usually your top three isn't what the top three was. That was the that problem. And like, yo, y'all problem. are sleeping right now. Like, well, y'all are picking all the wrong flavors. <laughs> so, so you know, that was but my. Seeing, but
0: seeing that, so what I realized was the dynamic in people that were judges, and what I fixated on was that judging experience, and wanting more people to be part of it. I I felt like it was too much to like friends of friends and little like you know like political little circle thing instead of instead of something that it was more I mean it was a great experience, but I thought a lot of people could experience that. And when I first went to the High Times Cannabis Cup in Amsterdam, I thought that's what the experience was gonna be. Yeah. You were gonna get to taste everything, but instead you get the lay you making you look like a fucking Custy, So you yeah, can look walk like a tourist and then and you look like a tourist visit to all the time. get charged shops. top dollar for fucking whatever. Okay but, strains. <laughs> exactly, man. So so you know, like we started the 710 cup. I did the concentrate side of it and like the whole breakdown of all the entries. Um, we got it tested through a lab. We we went science before it was had, science. We had judge kits. Hitman did the judge rigs. Yeah. Grassroots did a bunch of sick gear for it. Ruga did all the production side of it. I did the the like concentrate part, which at my, at the time I was like, this is the risk, you know, I'm that right. I was taking. So then Ruga and I had a falling out after that year <clears throat> because he felt that his crew had done more work for the production side of it than the event, uh, competition Has- right. side of it. So we had a falling out and I launched Chalice Festival. Okay. And what was this year? this was the 2014 first, first when I Chalice. did Chalice. And uh, so I had Tribe Sector 9, uh, Hieroglyphics, E-40, um, Les Claypool's Duo de Twang. Um, I mean a really eclectic lineup, and lost a bunch of money. Uh, so everybody thinks that these festivals are very profitable, and ultimately they actually aren't, or they they lose money for three to five years before they make yeah, money. Yeah, you
1: have to build it before like the just first- like
0: any business, you know. And a lot of people always think that the money's coming in because they only count the money coming in, but don't understand the, the kind of the the money going out or yeah. even begin to even think about it in, in realistic sense yeah so um i know all about that i was able to what i brought to the table was selling the judge kits as a revenue stream and also providing that as an additional experience that set our event apart from everybody else. right
1: it was uh chalice was about uh uh music hash and glass
0: glass and art yeah all right yeah so we had a lot of live art on site,
1: and uh, live murals getting painted. A lot of big artists. Live glass blowers. We've had, blowers.
0: We've had uh, Kenny Scharf over the years, um, all the CBS crew. Man, for me, like Chalice became this this thing where it's like if you can <laughs> dream it, let's try to do it and like make it a reality. And man, I was so empowered by throwing Chalice Festival over the years. Yes. You know,
1: <clears throat> and this was at a time before regulation. It was just Prop Two Fifteen. Everyone was doing events people were out here, uh,
0: doing things. And but had- I was willing to spend money on the areas that other brands and like high times wasn't willing to spend money on right, for the experience side of it. Right. Sat out venues. But I also, you know, like I, I for years didn't want to have any issue with high times, you know? So what happened was I had a good re- relationship with Matt Stang. I was, uh, signature at their cannabis cups. We were always entering glass. We always had a booth. Um, We were a big part of, you know, we'd always go to the after parties and shit like this. And I didn't want to throw events on the dates that they were throwing them. Right. So, you know, I have this in text. I'm just like, man, like, I don't want to do that. Just let me know so we can. When I started to throw Chalice, obviously they weren't a big fan of it. Right. Because it's. But they were being cool at that time. Um, they just didn't
1: want another event. Until so time. we
0: had so we did the first year, we did the second year at the Nas Center, and then we we're getting ready to do the third year, and I book Wu Tang Clan. So for me, like okay, again, every year we're raising money from the ground up to throw this festival. So I don't have any money. And a lot of people think I'm like financially loaded, but I'm not. I'm just a regular guy like anybody else trying to do crazy shit. Yeah. and um, you know not having the money every year, you're behind the ball. So you're paying a premium on everything. Right. And a lot of people don't understand that because, you know, if you're getting doing something on terms and, you know, every year I'd be like losing a couple hundred thousand dollars and, you know, maintaining those relationships. But and, you're
1: passionate about but this I'm event. Like, the,
0: the event has to happen. Once you start doing something, it's you like, can relate. It's like, no matter what barriers or mess you've created, you got to like push forward and get out of that situation. And, 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 uh, you know, in building this festival, it, I just got into a situation I never, I didn't sign up for. I didn't really know it was gonna yeah, so uh, be this big of a thing and, and also cost as much money as it did. in yeah. every time Cause you trying to go bigger and better. And you have people around you that of course you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Let's do at the end it. Of that's the great. Time, it's,
0: you, it's in my name.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> you're trying to go bigger and better every year. And then like, you know, you get a couple years in, you're building it, uh, then you do it on a date and High Times announces the event. Well, High event. Times, well, I, I find
0: out. So I had a contract with the National Orange Show to throw it on a certain date. Then I get a marketing deck from High Times and an email that says that they're throwing a concentrate cup on the dates at the National Orange
1: Show. The same venue as you.
0: And then the guy from National Orange Show calls me. And cancels my contract because they got exclusivity of the venue, which ended up being a horrible decision for them. Yeah. And it just shows, it's like a greedy decision for them where they thought this was a good move. Um, It was new management who came in. Yeah. And it's some strong arm tactic, corporate bullshit, okay? Which is the overlying theme in the legal cannabis yeah, world. Yeah, we're get if into If you that. like it or not, right? Right now. But, but. So anyway, he pushed me out of that venue. So I had to move to Victorville. Right. And, you know, I had the culture move with me and and the support move with me. And, you know, it was, we crushed it. Wu-Tang performed and MGK. I mean, dude, it was sick. I remember you booked
1: Migos one time.
0: we had Migos. Um, Yeah. Man, I just, we're really like, it was a lot of, the whole experience has been so much fun. The highs, the lows, everything. Booking music. Um, having things go how you want, but building relationships, areas do awesome. overperform in other areas, but then underperform in other areas. Yeah, you learn, like, you learn a lot. But you pay make your better. dues, man, and like that's been my overlying theme is that in glass pipes and all this shit, I didn't know anything about it. I got into it. I might have paid a premium to do that and got custied out. But you do that in every industry you, to, to figure started. out what the fuck you're doing, and then you're able to know when someone's trying to fuck you or not, right? Yeah. And the more you get are in a world, you figure that out. So again, because I didn't have any money and now I'm behind the ball every year, it really like that, that move was hard for me, but we were end up to, we ended up doing it, but we, we still lost money. Right. So then the next year we threw it, we had Ice Cube, Thievery Corporation. Yeah. Um, shit was tight. We lost, we almost broke even.
1: Right. You're building it now. Now the name's we're out like there. People almost are
0: broke it. even, but we're still in the red on the festival significantly.
1: Right. So, um, and then, you know, so, so here you are, you're doing it. It's getting big. People are understanding challenge. People are calling it like the Woodstock of the weed festivals. You're getting written up in all these articles. And then the legal market comes around. Right. And so you're trying to go, you're like, you know what? I'm going to go legal this time. I want to work with everyone. I'm going to go legal. I'm going to hit up the cannabis, the Bureau of Cannabis. Yeah, we are
0: building this in a gray area market where yeah. like it was so risky. Everyone was Every it. fucking year, I swear to God, when i doing the competition, I'm like, oh my, wait, wake up. Before I go to bed, smoke, take extra dab, smoke extra blunt. Because right, like, you don't know if you're going to wake up to legal issues, anything, you know? <laughs> and uh, fuck, man, like I was the first person to get a temporary license when they said you could be a promoter. <coughs> first person in line, excited to get it, excited to do it right and pay taxes and generate tax revenue for California and and legitimize everything that I'd built in a gray area situation.
1: Yeah. And you had the coffee shop going Now, obviously, I could
0: have just done it on the black market, which I probably this year should have 100% just thrown jealous <laughs> on, as a black market right. event. But that really sucks, because it's like you pass a law, you would think they would be encouraging yeah. people. And you you're know, trying to
1: work with them. You're like, yo, I'm,
0: and I'm and ahead of things. Unfortunately, I've, I've been a victim. And I went to the hearing out in Victorville. Yeah, I've been a victim of... Um, the Bureau of Cannabis Control and Politics showing favoritism to my competitors and other operators in the space as far as meeting with them, politics trying to funny. you know, trying to bend the rules for certain people, but not for others. And do you I'm play golf? Nitpicker. I, I, I do the driving range. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just haven't really had yeah. the whole golf I get uh, it. thing,
1: but I'd be down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's crazy because You know you, you Just being a spectator And just kind of Being involved You know I'm just a guy who gets high I enjoy the festivals I enjoy the whole culture I'm all about it And it's just Like seeing how things work And seeing how Like when politics Get involved Because now with cannabis being legal yeah it's great it's getting more socially expe- accepted people are learning about it we're learning you know about pesticides and pgrs and mold and pm and all sorts of different shit on growing and ingesting and consuming and like now that people are understanding more money's going into it to educating so we're learning a lot more but we're also losing a lot because it's getting watered down people aren't caring well, i mean anymore. look look i mean You've got... you got politics getting involved. You got you've people got people so paying. I don't know. I people still don't know what happened shit. this
0: year. You know, like, I don't know if my competitors so you never paid got- money to have me not get the permit what? and knew someone in Victorville. What? <laughs> I Friends. don't know if the BCC got paid off. Like, you, there's so many unknowns, and I'm not, like... All I know is I did everything that, that the law said we we're supposed to do. And for some reason we didn't, I happened to be the guy who got fucked. Now, like I not going to sit here and cry about it. I'm going to fucking do what I need to do to relaunch my festival. Right. But in the process of, of doing that, there's a lot of, there's a mess that I made because when you bet on something like I was betting on, especially with money that's not yours, and then it blows up in your face, you end up owing everybody fucking money. So, you know, now I'm in a scenario where I have a lot of debt with a lot of different people, but I care about making it right. Right. And a lot of people think that I have that money, but unfortunately I don't. And a lot all that money was lost to deposits and people, because this is business. I lost hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to artist deposits that are non-refundable. You know, uh, there's a lot, even like a lot, all the money that was coming in was going to the production and deposits for everything. And like Chalice Festival cost almost $3 million to throw. And nobody understands that kind of shit where it's like, I didn't understand that. I'm still trying to come to terms with the fact that, holy shit, I'm throwing an event that's a fucking $3 million production. Right. And then I'm trying to break even. I'm trying to break even on it. Step one. But you've always. Then I'm trying to make money. But, bro, people don't understand that they just think you're making money and they think, like, oh, it's this much money. But it's like, dude, when you start from nothing and you have to have all this stuff, you can appreciate the person is a driving force for that and there's a lot of people in this industry other than me that are individual driving forces for shit you know in different yeah. parts of this industry but i just happen to be fixated on the event side of it yeah, and, well and the competition side. that's what it.
1: happens when you're a pioneer and you uh you know create lanes and start new things is you learn a lot you learn a lot i don't call them losses i call them lessons totally because uh, i know you're a pro you, you know you had the but it's how you look shot, at it,
0: right? It's how you look at it. It's how you it, bro. look at it. You uh create and a this challenge. Year, I was could. looking at it too much like losses instead of trying to learn from it and pivot. But sometimes it's hard to pivot out of a fucked up scenario and sink a fucking half court shot, you know, in the in the moment at the buzzer. So it's like you've got this in these scenarios where we all put them so ourselves in these situations where it's high pressure situations with a lot of risk, right? And sometimes it, you've got to bite the bullet. And, you know, I'm in that situation right now where it's like, okay, and going legit, it wasn't at all the way I thought it was going to go. But it taught me that I got to have some backup plans with everything. And I got to have some like checks and balances and just like paying my dues with any industry, bro. I fucking, I don't know, man. It got to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm in a tough spot, but I'm going to get out of it. And it's, it's that glass half full shit. You yeah, know,
1: like, and that's it. Like, you can that's it. What, so. what would you tell anyone <clears throat> that's trying to get into the industry? Like, everyone right now, like, my DMs are always like, hey, I'm trying to get in the cannabis industry. You got any job openings? Well, how would you direct someone if they're listening to this podcast right now? Shout out to you if you're listening right now. Hi. Uh, what would you tell them? What would be like the advice? The Douglas. I mean, you trying that to that get went into everything, me. went through the music festivals, <laughs> went through creating companies. Went through uh, lawsuits, went through fighting court to create your event. Like, What would you tell someone?
0: At the end of the day, you got to stay true to yourself and who you are and know yourself. And don't be self-deceptive with what you think your importance or place is in something that's much bigger than you. And the weed industry is huge. There's a lot of people and a lot. Everybody is a know-it-all. And yes. you need to navigate and take everybody's word as a grain of salt because everybody presents what they have as facts when it's just opinion. So it's like, I think it's a beautiful industry. I think it's going to emerge, but you've, you you got to think about who you're working for. And it's a lot of small companies that are going corporate. So, you know, don't like... A brand could be your, the brand you know but got bought by, by new people who are terrible people. Monsanto! So, you know, like the, the Monsanto, Monsanto! The trust thing is something I would be very weary of but I also, I would say like you gotta do your own thing and like you can't rinse and repeat somebody else's shit for less money. Right. That's like That's I, what I didn't do a pipe. What I didn't do with pipes. So if you get anything out of it, it's like do your own thing but you gotta really be about it. And you got to be targeting yourself as a as a consumer, and know if you are the actual demographic or not.
1: You know what I mean? You hear that? Bang. Get it. Be you. Be original. Be true to yourself. Figure out what you want. Find your lane, and yeah. be in it. What do you? What's up? To, what's next with Douglas Drake up? Man, uh, this what's year next? right here, 2019. where are we gonna? I'm see? gonna go
0: buy some suits, man. <laughs> ah, I see suits. you lost a lot of my weight. Boy, out I here? lost 40 pounds and I feel great. You yeah, out here going to get some tailored suits? Grateful for that and uh just pushing into 2019-2020 with an agenda and not going to take no for an answer and fucking What are you smoking? smoking my favorite weed, the haze. What? The piff, you know, East Coast what? Clearly in the building, Purple Haze Properties You know, we rocking it, dude The
1: Haze in the Haze building?
0: Yeah
1: Is that your favorite weed? What's your number one? What's your go-to?
0: Um, out here, I got a rock with certain OGs Nameless, what? Garrison Lane what? You know what I'm saying? LA Kush You got one of the boxes them. for I the holidays? I did, I did You know, know how, how to open to, it? I do Did you learn? Yeah, I learned I didn't what? break mine
1: You know how to open um, it? I Look, I got broken pieces One here and one here It's gone
0: yeah, that was a great gift from them. But yeah. Dude, they're great, guys. Um, but there's so many great people out here. I, I, there's so many people had to name. Um, Don't break it. And I, I got mad love for the L.A. weed scene. Um, I'm happy I live in Los Angeles, dude. It, it's it's a great experience, and uh, it was great to be up north for the Emerald Cup. I rock with California heavy. Yeah. That's I live here, man. Best but, coast, west coast. Know, shout out to the East Coast, too, because they're changing it up, and uh, it's definitely getting more weed-friendly. So I'm I'm rocking with
1: it what? Where can people find you What are you up to You got the Instagram Social media Website You got Snapchat Twitter Yeah
0: I got my uh, IG Douglas Drake up What Full name You gotta remember my last name You know I'm trying to grow up a little bit We
1: out here yeah, Real I'm, life I'm We're a, real people Know who I am You this, know This is real people right here Yeah Whatever you see on social media Is not real life Yeah when you this see us in real idea. life Come say hi I had one person Because you know People always opt in the comments They're like Oh but you da, da, da. I'm like yeah Y'all say it on the internet If you see me in real life Just you know I'm there Come say, say hi I'll tell you yeah. where I'm at One guy came up to me I was like Hey what's up I was like What's up He goes Yeah you know I just You told me to tell you So I just want to let you know I don't like you I was like all right, cool. G, I appreciate you coming in real life and telling me that. Here's some dabs, dog. Thank you for at least being real and doing that. And then, he's a fan, though. And then man. he's like, You know what I mean? like, it,
0: this is the thing, man. You can love well, now to he hate is. somebody. Now you can he love is. to hate somebody, but at the end of the day, you love it. Now and, he is. and there's a, there's so many brands like that, you know?
1: He was so. just like, ah, oh, oh, you're a cool. Good dude. I was like, Man, whatever. Whatever you see on real internet ain't, ain't real, dog. This is it right here. See? Luscious Locks, the highest host out here. Getting high everywhere. You can let up with me. I tell you where I'm at. Y'all want to get high with me? Let's go. And then we might do some things with Purple Haze. I got some giveaways coming up, maybe a little bit. But oh, shout yeah. out to Dougie. I feel like I could talk to you for like another hour about a bunch of shit. No doubt about it. That's the well, problem with any
0: interview.
1: Yeah, but I appreciate you coming through. Big ups. Uh, he'll probably come back soon. I know there's a Absolutely. lot more we could talk about. Yeah. We barely got into like over here, anything. We just learned the Dougie and the, and the influence of the corporate cannabis yeah. into the scene. Just don't lose the culture. That's what I was say. Remember with the cannabis roots, where we came from, where we are. This used to be a community. We used to be passionate about it. There used to be growers that loved the plant. And we're really uh, uh, passionate about it, and now they're just like people are just getting warehouses and growing and not making any good weed anymore, and it's just sad to see. But y'all know who it is. Highest host, the podcast is back. Appreciate y'all. Have a happy holiday. New Year's is coming up. Holidays. Say hi to your loved ones. You already know. Shout to Purple Haze Properties. Bye. Baby, now I got the flow, cause I know it from the start. Baby, when you blow my heart, that I had a dumb my day. I'm sure you're dead at You're live on Purple Haze Radio. Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.